Thank you to those men for that ministry. I invite you to open your Bible this morning to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. If you would open there now, would you please? The city of Thessalonica was a prosperous and prominent city in Paul's day back in the area of Macedonia, which is actually modern day Greece. And we have a photo to put up. Can you put that photo up for us now, please? There's a, a map of modern day Greece. Can you see this all right? There's Jerusalem down here in the corner, right hand corner. And in the center, I've circled a couple of cities. This is the area of Greece and all this area to the north of Thessalonica was all this was Macedonia. And so here we have Thessalonica or Thessaloniki as they Thessaloniki, as they say, and uh, Athens or Athena as they, uh, they pronounce it uh, Athens down there and Thessalonica up here. Now, this is the city Thessalonica that we're, we're going to be dealing with where the letter of first Thessalonians was written to. And Paul, when he wrote it was down here in Athens, that's where he wrote the letter and then had it sent up here to Thessaloniki. All right. You can put that map away for us in Acts chapter 17. You needn't turn there, but that's where we find the apostle Paul and Silas they went into the city of Thessalonica on Paul's second missionary trip. And that's where they started a really nice church, the church at Thessalonica. And I'll just read for you chapter 17 of Acts verse four. It says, and some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas and of the devout Greek Greeks, a great multitude and of the chief women, not a few. And so the church at Thessalonica was a composition of Jews and Gentiles or uh, um, Jews and the Greeks. And Paul loved these people dearly. He loved these Christians at the church of Thessalonica, but he had to leave. He wasn't able to stay there for very long. He was, he had to leave. And the reason was because of persecution. Some uh, wicked people in Thessalonica did not like the preaching of the cross, did not like the gospel. And that still happens today. Folks, there are people today that are still enemies of the gospel and enemies of the very grace of God, you know, shed abroad on Calvary's cross to save their soul. They're still enemies and they will raise up persecution. And that's what happened there in Paul's day. And he had to leave. Now in verse 17, chapter two, verse 17, Paul says he was taken from them for a time, but that he had great desire to see them and to see their faces. Now, how come that is? And why would he have great desire? And if you look, please, at verses 19 and 20, we have the answer. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? I just pause there. This is one of the five crowns mentioned in the New Testament available for believers. And it's the um, uh, evangelistic crown, the soul winner's crown, or a crown for being a faithful witness. Every Christian needs to uh, somehow get the gospel out to his or her family and neighborhood and to join in with the uh, effort in trying to reach souls in this city and around the world through missionaries. Every believer needs to be part of the soul winning um, efforts of the local church. And so these people, Paul led them to Christ. And that's why he refers to them as his crown of rejoicing because this is the soul winner's crown. And in heaven, the Lord Jesus will give the crowns of, for soul winners who let their light shine. Now you can be a soul winner and yet still not have actually led someone to Jesus Christ. You could be sowing seed all the time and maybe somehow 
by the time you get to heaven, you haven't, you personally led one soul to Christ. You're still a soul winner. You can be out fishing, trying to catch fish, but never catch one. And yet you're still a, a, a fisherman. You understand? And so you can be a soul winner. Maybe you'll never have the joy of leading a soul to Christ. Although, you know, if you pray about it and you work at it, it's very unusual that you wouldn't have at least one. However, you can still be a soul winner by giving out gospel tracts, by praying for the lost, by inviting lost people uh, to church or to invite them to watch from their home. These are all different ways that you and I can be part of the the soul winning. And so uh, these people in Thessalonica, Paul led them to Christ. And so that's why they're his crown of rejoicing are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming, which hopefully is soon folks. Amen to that. Three or four amens there today. Hmm. Now verse 24, ye are our glory and joy. And so, you know, here we have Paul just laying it right out. And as Christians, I think we all understand this, don't we? It's a wonderful thing to be part of God's family, to have brothers and sisters in the Lord, people that you can share prayer requests with, and you know, they're going to pray for you and that, you know, you're going to see these people in heaven. And so we understand here what Paul was saying. And the fact that he had to be removed from them, he was sort of pushed away because of persecution and he wasn't able to get back and see them. It's the same today, really, because COVID-19 since March of 2020, COVID-19 has driven us apart. And it's only been recently we've been able to have small amounts of church folks into church on Sundays and Wednesdays. And we have this similar desire to see everyone's face. And there's still people out there on the internet whose face we haven't seen for months. And we're so greatly desiring to see the whole church family and to see us back together. What a joy it is hmm? when we fill the auditorium and, 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 and fill the auditorium with our voices in song and, and uh, be able to just rejoice together. It's a great thing. And we're looking forward to the Lord, uh, hopefully putting us back together, but back to this little passage here, Paul was saying that he was prevented. Now, actually he was prevented more than once. He was prevented at least twice. According to this passage here, he was prevented at least twice from going back to Thessalonica. And so what really happened here that prevented Paul from not being able to go back to Thessalonica and it's in verse 17. And I want you to see it here, but we brethren being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire Sorry, verse 18, wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again. Now, maybe underline these words here, but Satan hindered us. Satan hindered us. This is the reason. The word hinder means to hold back from making progress. That's what the word hinder means. And usually the way that it's carried out is through some sort of injury or causing harm. And that's the idea of hinder. It's to hold back from progress, usually by causing injury or causing some sort of harm. And so here Paul was hindered. His Satan hindered Paul's efforts in going back to Thessalonica. I'll tell you something, folks, Satan loves to hinder the work of God. Isn't that the truth? Amen. He loves to hinder the work of God and he'll do everything he can to stop the progress on the work of God. 
That is absolutely the truth. Satan loves to hinder the things of God. Satan loves to corrupt the Bible. Satan loves to stop soul winning efforts. He loves it. Satan loves to hinder the people of God. And he loves to hurt us. And he loves to divide us. Today, I want to speak on the subject. Satan hath hindered us. And folks, let's not make a mistake here. Satan is trying desperately to hinder our Christian families. He is actively trying to hinder a Christian family and to take them into worldliness. And this is why we hear so often some, some sad stories and some prayer requests of Christian families, maybe divided and gone into worldliness. And Satan is trying desperately to hinder our churches. He's trying to do that. And he's trying to break up our unity and break up our love. Now, the question is, are we going to let him do it? Are we going to let it happen? Are we just going to sit back and say, oh, well, there's nothing we can do. Or are we going to do something about it? And that's what I want to speak about today. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment of prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask now that you would please help us and enlighten us. Lord, raise our level of faith and confidence in you and in your word, dear Lord. The very promises of God upon which we claim to stand. Lord, help us to take a look down and see what we're standing on. These wonderful promises. Father God, I pray for your hedge of protection today around our hearts and minds. Lord, I pray for those watching at home. And I know that distractions can come up and people can be sitting in their living room, one eye on the church service and another eye on their cell phone, checking texts or emails or even the weather or the news. Lord, I pray that we'd all put these distractions aside. And just for the next few minutes, we would concentrate and focus in on what you have for us today. Father, bless your people, I pray, in a special way, this hour, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, once again, folks, the word hinder means to hold back from progress, usually by causing injury or causing harm. That's the idea of hinder. Similar, I suppose, in a race. You get a whole bunch of guys running a race and one evil runner, you know, He's trying to win and there's someone beside him and he's, he's thinking, ah, oh, he's too fast for me. And so what the evil runner might do is take a step into this runner's pathway, cutting him off, causing him to stumble and fall. Now that sort of thing has actually happened. You think that's never happened before that has happened. And it happens in school races and high school races and college races and it's even happened in big professional races, like Olympic kind of, of races where, where people have fouled someone else. They've cut them off. And that's the idea of hinder, to stop the progress by causing some sort of injury or harm. How many have ever been driving in the car and all of a sudden someone just cuts you off? How's that? Has that ever happened? Raise your hand if that's happened. Oh, look at all the hands. Yeah, that's happened. I'm not going to ask how many here have been the ones who've cut off someone because <clears throat> we don't want to get ourselves into jeopardy. But uh, that idea of getting cut off, 
that's again falls right in line with this idea of hinder. Now, Satan first started his hindering up in heaven. That's where he first began hindering the work of God by somehow convincing a number of God's angels to rebel and to follow him. And they became demons. That was Satan's first hindering was up in heaven. And then Satan moved to earth and he started hindering God's work on earth. And we find that on earth, he tempted Adam and Eve right into sin. That's in Genesis chapter three. We go three more chapters into chapter six. And we find that Satan is hindering all the world from coming to God. And all the world had become very corrupt and very worldly. And so what God had to do was he had to send a flood. He found one man and his wife and his three sons and their wives, eight souls in total. And God used them to build the ark. God had to send the flood and start all over again. Satan hinders throughout the rest of the book of Genesis. You'll find that Satan hindered Abraham. Satan hindered Isaac. Satan hindered Jacob plus others. We get now into the book of Exodus and we find that Israel as a tiny little nation is down in Egypt and we find that it's growing. And in Exodus chapter one, Satan hindered Israel's growth by moving in the heart of Pharaoh to have all of the baby boys put to death. Oh, what happened? God sent in Moses. And when Israel finally did, did leave Egypt, Satan hindered them again in Exodus chapter 32 by tempting them and moving them to build and worship a golden calf. Do you remember reading about that? That was horrible. Absolutely aghast and horrible. While Moses was on the Mount of God, meeting with God and getting the commandments of God, Israel was down below getting involved in idolatry and uh, adultery as well. If you read the passage carefully, they had some big wild party going on. And they didn't have any COVID restrictions either. Maybe they should have. Would have kept them apart a little bit, maybe. But we find that here, Satan was hindering Israel yet again in having them make and worship a golden calf. And then a little bit later in the book of Numbers chapter 14, when they're ready now to go into the promised land, Satan hindered them again, didn't he? And he had 10 of the 12 spies bring up this horrible report. Oh, we can't do it. Oh, we're just grasshoppers in their sight. Oh, yes, it's a land that flows with milk and honey, but we cannot do it. And those 10 miserable spies turned the hearts of, I don't know what, 2 million people. And Satan hindered the work of God again. And those, the, that whole nation had to remain 40 years in the wilderness for all of the disbelievers to die out. And I think millions died. Anyhow, finally, Israel reached the promised land. They crossed over Jordan. They got into the promised land. They conquered Jericho. Remember that? What did Satan do? He got in there and hindered them again. There was a man named Achan, A-C-H-A-N, Achan. And he moved on Achan's heart to lust after the silver and gold and the fine clothes that he found in Jericho. And God said, don't touch any of it. And Achan lusted after it and thought, no one will see me. And, you know, it doesn't 
no one else's business. It's my business. And I, I want to get a little of the action here. And, and, and I, I want to care for my family. And so he stole the stuff and hid it under his tent. What happened? You say, well, it's just one man's sin. No, that one man's sin hindered all of Israel. They went to conquer AI, the battle of AI, and they got beat. And there were a lot of people that died on the battlefield because of Achan's sin. And those men dead, now they're grieving wives and children. No daddy that's going to come home. And because of one man named Achan, Satan hindered the work of God. Satan is always looking for ways. And I believe that in the hundreds of years that followed after that, throughout Israel's history in the Old Testament, Satan has continually found ways to hinder the work of God. And I'm amazed that in Daniel chapter 10, Satan even hindered Daniel's prayers. If you read it carefully, Daniel chapter 10, you'll find that Daniel went to prayer. And it wasn't until 21 days later that he got his answer to prayer. And the angel who was sent to him said, Oh, Daniel, from the day that you lifted up your heart and you cried to God, I was sent. But you see, Satan got in there and Satan hindered and he had to do spiritual battle. And I'm sure there were other angels and demons involved. I don't know all what, but there was some kind of thing involved. And it took 21 days before that angel finally could come. To Daniel's side, you know, sometimes you pray for something and it doesn't come after a day, a week, a month, or even a year. You're praying and praying and you're tempted to quit. You're tempted to give up. Ah, we've been praying long enough. Ah, nothing, nothing, nothing. You don't understand that there's a lot of things going on. And some of the things that you pray for require God to do a lot of work in people's lives. If you pray for something easy, like the weather, God can give that to you fast. But you pray for the salvation of someone. You pray for a great revival. God has to do a lot of work in a lot of hearts in order to bring that about. And you know, it would be almost like you going to a, I don't know, a cake maker, a professional cake maker and saying, I want this cake, the most beautiful cake you've ever made. And I want it to look like this and that. And I want a bunch of these and this and that on it. And I want it so wonderful and beautiful. And the cake maker says, all right. And so then you're waiting. A day goes by. Is it ready yet? No, it's not ready. Okay. You wait another few days. Is it ready? Is my cake ready? And it's not ready yet. Oh, okay. I don't know. A week, two weeks goes by. Is my cake ready? It's not ready. I quit. And the the cake maker has been working, preparing, bringing all the ingredients together because you've been asking for things that he's had to send away for. And he's got all these things together now, and he's soon to have your cake and you quit. And that's what happens, folks, when we give up on prayer. Praying for this building, God's will on this building. It takes months, months and months and months. We can't quit, folks. We got to press on. Daniel chapter 10 is a good illustration for us of this. But Satan got in there. Listen, basically, I'll tell you what. Satan is a bully. He doesn't play fair. Satan is a thief. He's a liar. He fights dirty. Because he's trying to hurt God. He's trying to hinder what God is trying to do. And that's why he hurts us. He hurts us. He hinders us so that he can hurt God and hinder God. 
His goal is to overthrow God. You know that that's his ultimate number one goal. How does Satan go about hindering us? I believe that Satan uses two, not one, but two powerful weapons against us. And you might want to jot these down. Number one, the first weapon that he uses against us is called temptation. Temptation. Satan tempts us to commit sin. Now I'll give you a little insider tip here. Satan probably will not tempt you folks to go rob a bank because that's not one of your weak areas, but maybe you have a weak area. Maybe you have a a secret greed to get rich. And maybe you have trouble walking past those lotto tickets without thinking, boy, wonder if I could win. Satan knows it. And Satan can see your areas of weakness, whether it be greed or whether it be lust, or maybe for some it's food or for some, maybe it's laziness and sleep for some, maybe it's sports. I mean, to the point where they just eat, think, drink, sleep sports. (laughs) Sports are all right, but you know, keep it in balance. Or maybe for some it's anger and they have a temper. Maybe that's their weak area for some. Maybe it's pride and they feel that everyone should treat them with respect, should shake their hand. Well, maybe with a glove on these days, everyone should pay respect. They should be treated with respect. And when someone doesn't treat them with respect, the respect that they think they deserve, all of a sudden they come unglued. Satan knows our weakness. You can't hide it. He sees it. He knows it. That's why Satan will never be able to get me to rob a bank because I'm not weak in that area. But there are people in life who have a a, a weakness for bank robbery. They can't drive past a bank without thinking, "Ooh, ooh, I wonder where they keep the cameras. Ooh. They can't, they can't drive past a bank without being tempted. For some, they can't drive past a, a bar, a saloon, a pub without being tempted to go in and put back a few brewskis. They know it's not right, but they do it anyhow because they're weak. And Satan knows, he knows, he knows our areas of weakness and temptation. I believe is his first powerful weapon. Listen, he tempted Adam and Eve to eat the forbidden fruit. Did they fall for the temptation? Yes or no? Yes, they surely did. Satan won. Adam and Eve lost, which got him kicked out of the garden, by the way, because sin brings consequence. Always has, always will. Sin has a price tag. And sin will take you deeper than you ever wanted to go and further than you ever wanted to go and cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. Sin will do that. And by the way, one sin will often lead to another sin, which will lead to yet another sin. They kind of go that way before you know it. You've got an unbreakable habit and you're crying out to God. What went wrong? Hey, maybe it all began with that first smoke or with that first drink, 
or with that first little shot of drug or whatever it was, maybe it all went right back to that. If only you could go back and just say no. You wouldn't have the problem today. It's like that with all sin, I suppose. Moses was commanded of God to speak to the rock to bring forth water. (laughs) Moses had a weakness. He was pastoring some of the worst people on the planet. They were stiff necked. I know because that's what he called them. Unrepentant. Oh, they were always griping and murmuring and they wanted to choke him and go back to Egypt of all places. Egypt was destroyed. Yet they wanted to go back. And he was the pastor of all these people. Poor Moses. And so one day after they were murmuring, complaining and calling it all his fault, there was no water. And God said to Moses, talk to the rock. And Moses stood up and he, he had an area of weakness. And it was his, his temper. Meek and mild Moses. He was a mild man. I think he just held it on down some days. He pushed it on. Have you ever had to do that? Yeah, you kind of push your anger down. Well, Moses did, I think, for years. And finally, the, te- the devil got the better of him, tempted Moses, and he blew up. And he blew up, and he really told those people off. And he took the rod, and he struck the rock twice. Bang! Bang! And, of course, all the water came out, but Satan won. Moses lost, and he was barred from entering the promised land the very place that he had been longing for all his life. He couldn't go in. And that's something who won that day. Satan hindered the work of God is what Satan did. Remember we mentioned Achan. Satan tempted Achan. Achan had a secret desire for wealth. It came out in that, that incident there at Jericho. And when he saw the silver and gold and the Babylonian garments, whoa, he couldn't, restrain himself. He took it. No one saw. He brought it home and his family had to know because he hid it under their tent. What are you doing, dad? It's a little nest egg for, you know, later on, you know, we'll, we're looking after ourselves. Hey, family, we sure are. And his wife was in on it and his kids were in on it. They all knew about it. It'll be our family secret. And they stuffed it under the tent. And then they went on their business as if nothing had happened. This will be our nest egg. No one will know. Ananias and Sapphira tried the same thing in Acts chapter 5. No one know. No one knew except God. And there were consequences. And for Achan, well, you know, there were consequences for Israel. Israel lost the battle of Ai. And Achan and his wife and kids ended up losing their lives over it. It's always that way, isn't it? Oh, we could go on and on and talk about the, 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 the great men of the Bible that have, the Satan tempted and won because of his temptations. Look what he did to Samson. Samson had a weakness for women. And finally, the devil got the right woman in front of Satan, uh, in front of Samson. Satan, Samson. But it was Delilah. And she was used of the Philistines who were used of Satan himself. And they broke Samson and God suffered a loss that day because Satan hindered the great work of God. How about King David himself when he should have been off to battle and he stayed home? I may be wrong, but I think I could be wrong. God forbid me if I forgive me if I'm wrong, but 
David knew what Bathsheba was doing. And I think that's why he stayed home when he should have been off to war, as the Bible says. And he saw Bathsheba. And then he called for her, had the adulterous relation. Who won? Satan won. Oh my, oh my. There were consequences to pay after that. Isn't that the truth? Well, we're not here to spread out, you know, dirty laundry. We're here to say Satan is a liar, a cheat, a bully. He fights dirty and he is going to use a powerful weapon against you and against me in order to hinder us and hinder the work of God. And this weapon seems to be temptation. Now I'd like you to take your Bible, please. And I'd like you to turn to the right to the book of James. Go there now, James chapter one, after Hebrews, you'll find James and chapter one. And I want you to see this, please. We'll do this as quick as we can. James chapter one, please look at verse 14. James chapter one, verse 14, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. You see, I don't have a lust for robbing banks. That's why I can't be drawn away for that. Maybe you're the same. You don't dream about robbing banks, do you? So you don't seem to have a lust for robbing banks, but some people do, and they can be drawn away in that. Maybe you'll be drawn away in some other lust. But every man, it says, is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, look at that. It's like getting pregnant almost, isn't it? When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. That's like having a baby. It bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. The baby kills you. That baby grows up and kills you. A lot of people, they play with sin. They think, oh, this is fun. I can handle this. I can, I can. You know, I'm still in control. I knew a young lady who did that with witchcraft. She got many, many years ago and she got involved with witchcraft. And she, apparently she told me this. she learned how to, to move the flame of a candle. And she thought this is great, but it wasn't long before Satan started to control her, her thoughts. She couldn't get things out of her head. All of a sudden her her, her bright skies were clouded over. Her whole life became en enveloped in Satan's darkness. And that's when she came to me and asked for me to make a prayer to make it all go away. And I said, no, you're going to have to walk with the Lord day by day. There's going to be more to it than me just pushing a button for you. She didn't like that answer. And I, she took off after that. And I never saw her again. But here we're learning that sin, when it hath in his finish, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. We all know that sin is something bad. We all know that. We don't have to be convinced. We all know sin is bad and it hinders our relationship with God. We all know that. And when we sin and when we fly off the handle, we'll often say hurtful things. To our loved ones, we'll do it. The members of our own tender family will fly off the handle and say, well, I'm good for nothing, <laughs> rickety rackety, you know, and we'll say things that hurt and we'll do things that hurt. Boy, who won there? Not us, not the Lord. How do we protect ourselves? How do we fight back? Is there no hope for us? 
Well, the answer is yes, there is hope. There's wonderful hope for you and I, because we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We're on the winning side, folks. We just have to use what God has given us. You see, we are in a spiritual war. And so you can't use physical weapons to fight a spiritual war. You need to use spiritual weapons. Here's the answer then. Keep reading your Bible and keep praying. NMW. NMW. And you might think, NMW, what are you talking about? What does that mean? It means no matter what. No matter what. Every day. You keep in your Bible, reading your Bible, and every day you pray earnestly, no matter what. No matter how you feel, no matter what the devil tells you, no matter what someone else tells you, you keep reading your Bible and you keep praying. And by the way, if you don't have a good King James Bible, go get one. And if you can't afford one, we'll give you one. We just want you to read the the Bible, God's word. Well, but the King James Bible, I find some of those words kind of difficult. Go online to a dictionary. There's a suggestion. I think you'll find the answer to your problem. If you go to some kind of dictionary and look up a word you don't understand, but it won't take very long and you won't need that dictionary. You'll be able to read that and understand it just fine. The devil doesn't want you reading the Bible. He doesn't want you praying. He gets you to commit sin. And here's what happens. You commit sin and you tend to lose your desire to read the Bible. When you're involved with sin, you tend to lose the desire to read God's word and you lose the desire to pray. You feel defeated. You feel, oh, depressed, discouraged. Oh, you feel fatigued. Oh, I can't go to God. Listen, I understand what you're saying, but I'm telling you the truth. Those two things, your Bible and your prayer needs. Those are the two things that'll save your bacon. Those are the two things that'll help you get back to God. You will find your way back to God by reading the word of God and by praying earnestly. But I'm not sure what to pray. The Holy Spirit will lead you. You just get started. You get started. Lord, you could even start with those words. I'm not sure I know what to pray. Help me. And if you've read your Bible, read a you know, a couple of chapters of your Bible and you start to pray, the Holy Spirit will guide you. He'll lead you because he wants you back close with God. And the way he'll do it is he'll use your Bible reading and he'll use your prayer. So folks, this is very, very important. We'll find our way back to God by using these two things. Now, the first weapon Satan uses seems to be temptation. Don't say you've never been tempted or you're not temptable because that's a lie. You are temptable. You have been tempted. You will be tempted. We are in this world, but we're not of the world, but we're in this world still. And until Jesus takes us home, we are the subject of temptation. It's our weakness. It's our weak link. Number two, the second weapon that the devil uses against us. The first one is what? Temptation. The second one is trickery. Trickery. And it's easy to remember because they both begin with the letter T. Satan tricks us into believing things that are not true. He tricks us. Satan is a deceiver. Satan is a liar. Satan is a con artist of the highest caliber. If anyone can trick you, it's going to be Satan. 
And he's like a magician and he'll make you think this and he'll make you believe that. But it's all a lie. He is a master at lies. Now, for example, Satan tricks many people in the world today into believing that they're going to heaven because they speak in tongues or because they've had an out of the body experience. Many people, not just a few, but many people, thousands of people have claimed to have died and gone through a tunnel felt warmth and a light at the end. And then they're brought back into the body. I have nothing to worry about. I'm okay. God and me, we must be like two peas in a pod because I know I'm going to a happy place when I die. And Satan has tricked them and hindered them from, from the soul saving gospel grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the truth is found really in Matthew seven. Listen to the words of Jesus himself. Listen. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you depart from me. Ye that work iniquity, all these things that they trusted in. Jesus is calling it all iniquity because he never knew them and they never really knew him. There's only one way to heaven and that's through the Lord Jesus in Acts chapter eight, Satan tricked and hindered a man named Simon from getting saved. The apostle Peter finally had to confront Simon with the truth and told Simon that he was in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. That was the truth. And Simon might've known it in deep down in his heart, or he might've been trying to ignore it, but that was the truth. He wasn't saved because he was in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. Do you believe it's possible for people to be in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity and not even realize it? Have you ever known of someone that has an anger issue, but they don't think they've got an anger issue. Others around them can see they've got an anger issue, but they themselves, no, I don't have an anger issue. I tell you, I don't have an anger issue. I told you I'm not angry. Would you stop it? I am not an angry person. Have you ever known anyone like that? Something like that? Many alcoholics don't realize that they have a problem. They can't put down the alcohol. They can't walk away from it. Oh, I don't have a problem with it. No, 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 not me. I don't have a problem with alcohol. <laughs> yes, you do. You spend all your money on it. You don't have enough to pay your rent. Your wife and children have to walk around in rags while you sit down at the bar and put all that alcohol back. Yeah. And until the alcoholic says, I am an alcoholic, they can't seem to get help. They'll never get past it. Satan often tricks us into thinking that people are the problem. Oh, I'll tell you what my problem is. It's that man over there. It's that woman across the street. That's what my problem is. And Satan will often trick us into thinking that people are the problem. And I'm telling you right now, people are not the problem. People are not the problem. Satan is the problem. But people are not the problem. 
The devil will put thoughts into our heads similar to how he put thoughts into Peter's head in Matthew chapter 16. You remember reading in Matthew 16 when Jesus said to the disciples, whom say ye that I, the son of man am? And anyhow, Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. You remember reading that? Yes. Boy, what a confession. What a great day for Peter. In that same chapter, Jesus goes on to describe his coming crucifixion. Peter, the same Peter, stands up and says, excuse me, Lord. (laughs) He says, Lord, be it far from me, far from thee, Lord. This shall never happen unto thee. You understand what Peter was doing now, don't you? Peter was trying to counsel God. Peter was trying to tell God what he should do. Peter was trying to tell God what he should and shouldn't do. Not a smart idea. How did Jesus respond to Peter that day? You remember? Get thee behind me, Satan. Imagine Peter standing there. What? What? Uh Satan. Get thee behind me, Satan. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. That's what Jesus said to Peter. Now, Peter wasn't Satan. He was not Satan. And Satan was not literally inside of Peter. Don't think that. But what a rebuke that was to Peter. Hmm? The devil put that thought in his head. The devil puts thoughts in your head and in my head. Same devil. Boy, I tell you, never try to tell God what he should and should not do. Don't make that mistake. God, you need to do this. You know what some Christians, how some Christians pray, God, if you don't do this, I'm never going to talk to you again. Really? All through heaven, for eternity, forever and ever and ever, you're never going to talk to God again? (laughs) No. (laughs) They sound just like a spoiled little brat of a kid, don't they? God, if you don't answer my prayer. Something's wrong with this picture. Who's the enemy? Satan. He hinders us by deceiving us. Satan maybe is trying to make you think that your husband is the problem with your marriage. Oh, I'd have a wonderful marriage if it just wasn't for my husband. Think about that. Or maybe you think the problem is your wife. I would have a heaven on earth if it wasn't for my wife. A guy jokingly said, oh, my wife, my wife, I tell you, my wife. I'd give my mother-in-law and all my kids just to get rid of my wife. Now, that doesn't make any sense. And maybe it's dumb humor. But some people think, oh, you know what the problem with my marriage is? It's my wife. No, 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 it's my husband. Say, how do you know that? Because I've, over the years, done a lot of marriage counsel, and I've had husband and wife sit in front of me pointing at each other. What does that tell you? They think the problem is her. No, no, it's him. Oh, no, no, it's neither of us. It's our kid. It's our son. It's our daughter. There's the problem to our marriage. We'd have a happy marriage if it wasn't for that miserable little brat. What a mistake. Huh? What a mistake. Or maybe you think, oh, it's my, my teacher at school. There's the problem. Or maybe it's your boss at work. How about that? 
Or, hey, how about the church deacon? Oh, that church deacon, I tell you, we'd have a wonderful, if only it wasn't for that church deacon. Or maybe the pastor. Maybe the pastor. Just keep going through pastors till you get the perfect one. Or what about the greeter at the front door? Oh, blame it on the greeter at the front door, why don't you? I mean, how crazy. How far do we take this? Listen, if you believe any of that, you have a problem because you're believing a lie. Your problem does not involve so much a human as it involves the deceiver. And that deceiver's winning, by the way, because Satan got you to think that your problem is wrapped around that person. What a mistake that is. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's our wrestle. That's the enemy. Put it down in one word. It's Satan. And Satan is tricking Christian people today. And Satan sometimes tricks Christian people into believing that they must somehow, listen to this, they must somehow add parts of the Mosaic law to their lives in order to get to heaven or in order to please God. Listen, that's, that's not right. That, that's another trick. You do not need parts of the Mosaic law in your life in order to please God. You got saved by his grace. You stay in his grace. You got saved by faith in his grace. You stay, you live by faith in his grace. God is not adding parts of the Mosaic law to your life. You don't have to go out and secretly uh, uh, um, celebrate the feasts of Israel or something in order to gain favor with almighty God. God was favorable enough with you to save you. So does that mean we can live in sin? No, nothing could be further from the truth but you do not need the Mosaic law. There are amazing number of websites out there and churches, believe it or not, that are promoting parts of the Mosaic law. Hey, let's all become Jewish. Hey, let's all become half Jewish. Hey, let's all just start following the Torah. I'm telling you the truth. That's why Paul wrote the book of Galatians. The whole book of Galatians was written to help show the Christians in the churches of Galatia that they were being tricked and deceived by Satan. Now we don't have time to turn to the book of Galatians. So I'll read a couple passages for you. Galatians chapter two, verse 21. I do not frustrate the grace of God for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. And what he's saying is that adding parts of the Mosaic law is not going to make you more righteous. If, if you think that's the truth, then Christ has died in vain for you. You can't add anything to what Christ has done. No artist in the world would ever dream of trying to add to the Mona Lisa. He'd be shot, killed, quartered, burned at the stake he, before he even got to the Mona Lisa. They hold it in that higher regard. How much more the severe son of God who died on the cross. He completed a salvation. It is finished. He said 
In Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul wrote, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? <gasps> That's a strong word, isn't it? Who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth? Well, who did it? Satan did it. Satan tricked them. Galatians 5, verse 7, ye did run well. Who did hinder you? There's our word, by the way. Who did hinder you? Who cut in on your pathway and caused you to stumble? Well, we know who Satan did. And he got them to start adding parts of the Mosaic law to their Christian lives. And so how do we protect ourselves from his tricks? How do we protect ourselves? Is there no hope for us? Yes, beloved, there's hope. And here's the answer against Satan's trickery, his powerful weapon. Here's the answer. Here it is. Keep reading the Bible and keep praying every day. That is the antidote. That is the answer. NMW. What does NMW stand for? No matter what, no matter what, keep reading the Bible, keep praying, keep reading the Bible, keep praying, keep reading the Bible, keep praying. You will find yourself back to God. You will overcome Satan's trickery and his temptations, by the way. Listen, folks, we are in a spiritual warfare and we must use spiritual weapons. Now, the truth is Satan has hindered every single good church there has ever been for the last 2000 years. Satan has found some way to hinder every good church. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 16, 9, he said that, that there are many, there's a door of opportunity open to him, but then he said, there are many adversaries. And this is what we find to be true. When God opens doors of opportunity, all of a sudden there's adversaries waiting to hinder. And that's very true. Even of our church. Open doors bring many adversaries. When we started Grace Baptist Church 21 years ago, Satan hindered us a teeny bit. But over the years, as Grace Baptist Church has grown and our influence has grown and our ability to do God's work has grown, so have the adversaries. And they have found us. About two and a half years ago, we had a young unsaved man start attending our church for about three months, we tried to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ to him, but he kept resisting God's grace. And finally, one day he turned on a dime and he opened his mouth and he started to persecute us. And it was about approximately two and a half years ago. And it was so bad. And he wouldn't leave that we actually had to call the police on him and have him physically removed out of the building. And it was a very unsettling experience for many of us because we're a peaceful place. And we had this fellow just erupt on us. Now there's a restraining order against him. He's not allowed back in praise the Lord. But in the process, we lost a potentially good family. There was a young family that had started attending for a few weeks. And this happened and they took off and we never saw them again. And so Satan used this young man to hinder the work of the Lord. And by the way, this young man will answer to God for his actions. Lastly, sadly, there's times when even Christian people themselves become a hindrance to the Lord's work. Now in the Bible, we've got a few examples and one of them is Demas. 
And Demas was greatly used of God to further the Lord's work. And he's not the only one in the Bible who is, who has hindered the Lord's work. I mean, you get him in the old Testament and the new Testament. I just picked one, this fellow Demas. And for a period of time, he was going great guns and he was serving the Lord with the apostle Paul with soul winning and missions and being a great blessing and doing the work of the Lord. And this went on for a period of time, but Demas had a secret love for the things of this world. I guess them like Achan, the money and the wonderful garments and, you know, nice houses and beautiful chariots and, you know, nice boats and things and everything like that. And he had a secret love in his heart for these things. And Satan knew it. And Satan worked on Demas. And finally, you know, Demas gave in to Satan's temptations and he quit the ministry. He forsook the apostle Paul. And where do you suppose Demas went to live? The apostle Paul wrote in second Timothy chapter four, verse 10, he said, Demas hath forsaken me having loved this present world and is departed unto Thessalonica. That's the very city that Paul said that Satan hindered him about. Now, when Demas got to Thessalonica, do you think that he right away went into the church at Thessalonica and said, Hey, I'm here. I'm here. My name's Demas. I used to work with the apostle Paul. Hey, let me serve. Let me be part of this church. Do you have a soul winning program? I'd like to start giving my tithes. Hey, can I be a deacon one day? Do you think that Demas behaved himself like that when he got to the city of Thessalonica? I dare say that Demas never darkened the door of the church at Thessalonica. You say, why do you think that pastor? Because that's what backslidden people do. Typically they don't go to church because they're backslidden. I'll tell you something else. Backslidden people, they don't read their Bible, do they? They don't pray, do they? Oh yes, we do. We pray at meals. We say, oh, thank you for the food. Amen. That's what Catholics do. That's not what real saved people do. No backsliders. Don't pray. Backsliders don't give tithes and offerings. Backsliders don't get involved in the Lord's work. And listen, do you think if Demas ran across some young people saying, Oh, Demas, Demas, you were with Paul. We want to get into the ministry, the gospel ministry. What do you recommend Demas? What do you suppose Demas would say? To these young people, would he encourage them to go to Bible college? Would he encourage them to get involved and go to the Lord's work? Not Demas. He'd say, don't bother. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Don't bother. You're in for headaches and heartaches. You're in for sleepless nights. Ah, go get yourself a real job. Go to one of these worldly universities and pay $50,000 and get yourself a piece of paper and go drive a taxi. That's what a lot of University grads are doing, by the way, so sad. Anyhow, I'm not here to preach about that. And, and by the way, I, I do thank the Lord for good universities out there, but I'm just saying this Whew. poor old Demas Christian guy used of the devil to hinder the Lord's work. You know, but a year and a half ago, we led a young man to the Lord Jesus Christ. He got saved. He was so happy. We baptized him right here in the baptistry. We took him into membership he seemed very enthusiastic. All was going well. But then we learned <clears throat> he, 
He was also a follower of the heretic Steve Anderson. Steve Anderson on the, um, the internet there is a heretic. And he's a fast-talking, smooth-talking heretic. He's very intelligent heretic. He's a heretic. And this fellow was a follower of Steve Anderson. And so all on his own, this young man left our church and took two other young men with him. He hindered the work of God here. Satan used this Christian young man to hinder the work of God. And listen, I've got to say this, folks. This is a solemn warning to all our church, all of Grace Baptist Church, all of the members, all of the attenders, the young and the old. Listen carefully. If anyone is hindering the work of the Lord from progressing, or if anyone is hindering Christian people from growing spiritually, or if anyone is hindering lost people from coming to the the knowledge of Christ, they probably don't realize it, but they're being used of Satan to do his dirty work. That's the truth. They need to repent right away from this wickedness. Because they too may be in the ball, the gall of bitterness, the gall of bitterness and bond of iniquity. Titus 3.10 says this, a man that is an heretic, that's a, a division maker, a division maker. That's a heretic. Someone who tries to split a church or keep people back from spiritual growth, a heretic. After the first and second admonition, reject. They're to be put out of the church. Titus 3.10. Do not ever allow yourself as a Christian to be used by Satan to hinder God's work or to hinder God's people. Never let it happen. Remember Galatians chapter six, verse seven, be not deceived. God is not mocked for whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap. Can someone hurt our church? Yeah, they, they can. It's possible but they will answer to God for it. And I believe God will look after his little flock, by the way. Over the years, we've seen people come and go. Listen, we need to finish up here. You've been very patient with me today. If you're here today or if you're watching online, and if you feel that Satan has hindered you in some way, Satan has hindered you in your spiritual walk with the Lord. Satan has hindered you in your spiritual growth. Satan has hindered you in your spiritual service for the Lord. Well, you can make that right today. You can fix that today. That's the good news. Did you know that through daily Bible reading and earnest prayer, you can protect yourself from letting this ever happen again? That's good news, isn't it? There is hope. Right from where you're sitting, in just a minute, we're going to pray, and right from where you're sitting, in your heart, maybe you could cry out to God, And maybe you could ask God to help you. Or if you know of someone who is being hindered, you would be a good Christian to pray for them and intercede on their behalf. Lord, and you put in the person's name, please, I pray for this person. Encourage them, help them to come back to a close walk with you. If you're here today and you're not 100% sure about heaven, maybe you're watching online, And you're a good person, a religious person, but you know something just down deep in your heart, you know, you've never made contact with God. You can fix that today. If you will repent of your sins, your sins are what keeping you from God. And if you will turn your back on your sins, that's part of repentance. And you will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to save you. 
and ask him to come into your heart and be your, your savior. Finally, you can fix that problem today. And would you bow your head and close your eyes and we'll pray. Our dear, loving, wonderful, heavenly father. The sermon has been a little bit long maybe today, but Lord, maybe we've needed it, especially in light of the communion. We haven't had communion for a number of months and we want to, we want to draw close to you, Lord, at your table. Now we pray that you would bless your people. And there may be those here right now and in their heart of hearts there, they know they're saved, but they know they haven't been reading their Bible. Dear Lord, in fact, I know it has to be true because the number of Bible reading certificates has dropped. The number of pieces of paper that people would be handing in on a monthly basis, having read their Bible section for that month. There's very few father. What's happened to all of the Bible readers in our church. And if the Bible goes, so will the prayer. Our heavenly father, please speak to the hearts of your people because this needs to be fixed. Lord, please help us as we cry out to you. And we do pray one for another as a church family. And we know we're not perfect. And we know that we have problems. We have areas of weakness. And we need your protection daily from Satan. And dear father, I pray that if there be one watching today, or maybe here in our midst this morning, who is not born again, that right now they would just do the right thing and finally admit to you that their sin is sending them to hell. And they would repent of that sin and turn in faith to Jesus right now, right this moment and ask Jesus to forgive their sins and to come in once and for all and be their savior. And then to let others know, to let people know they're saved. Our heavenly father, bless your people over and over. I pray it in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.